Who is the Reds MVP for the 2023 season? I think I'm going to differ on some of the takes that you've heard so far. I'll tell you why. Make sure you listen up to today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, and my name is Jeff Carr. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I am a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan who has turned an addiction into information for you. I'm going on my fifth offseason now, actually sixth offseason, and uh, been covering the Reds daily for the last five years. It's been a wild ride. That was absolutely the most fun season in 2023 that I've had to cover this team. Lots of awards to hand out to the players, the performances, and uh, who had the best Viking hat celebration? Who's the best pitcher? Who's the best position group? We're going to get to all of that on today's Lockdown Reds podcast that's brought to you by the Lockdown Podcast Network. We are your team every single day, and we're free and available on all platforms. Whether you listen on your favorite podcasting app, whether you're watching me here on YouTube, thank you so much for doing so and taking time out of your day to do that. Uh, I, I'm really excited because this year we saw so many amazing things, and and I want to talk about, you know, team MVP, best pitcher, best position group. We're going to look at the best debut of the uh, so many great debuts this season. We're going to look at the best debut. And then, of course, my favorite, the, the best Viking hat celebration. Uh, that's coming up later on in the show because, of course, we are going to start with MVP. And I've seen plenty of takes out there. I've seen plenty of opinions as to what people are calling and, and who they think had the best performance. But a lot of people are saying Spencer Steer, and I get that. I understand that. I disagree with that. Because the MVP of the 2023 Cincinnati Reds was TJ Friedel. Listen up here, because he lists, he led the team in war, whether you look at the baseball reference calculation for war or the fan graphs calculation for war. He led the team, and this is this is a stat that we don't talk about enough. I think we'll talk about a lot more uh, as we go into next season and things like that. Win probability added. Uh, it's it, it's talking about you know the big moments in the game and you know who came up in the big moments of the game, who came through in the big moments of the game, and then if you don't, then you get negative. You you lose points on that. You don't just stay stagnant. It's a, you know, a cumulative thing that you have to be there in those big moments to get. And TJ Friedel was in so many big moments this year. He led the team in win probability added by a wide margin, actually, at least on the position side of things. His win probability added was 3.9. The next closest guy was Jake Fraley at 1.7. And there's a little bit of this that's circumstantial because, you know, you have to be in that position, but... If you're in the position and you come through, you should be recognized for that. And TJ Friedel did it more than anyone on this team. Plus, he had the lowest strikeout percentage on the team for any player who played at least 81 games. He only struck out 16% of the time. We talk about this all the time when it comes to major league uh, ball players. I think that the league average is like 22%. So he was way below or way above, I guess, if you're talking about strikeouts because it's a negative thing. He was way above league average at striking out. He, If he was making outs, they had the a chance to be productive because he was putting the ball in play. 
He also led the team, and this one surprised me because I would have thought Ellie would have led the team in this, but he led the team in base running runs above average. It's a fan graphs calculation that encompasses stolen bases, caught stealing, you know, taking extra bases on hits, you know, scoring from, you know, first or second or what have you. They're able to kind of compile that all into one number where, you know, zero is average, and if and, and whatever your number is above that, he was 9.1. 9.1 base running runs. That was actually, I think Ellie was at five something. So he was far and away. And I think part of that just had to do with he played longer than Ellie. But also, TJ Friedel was a very opportunistic base runner. There was, I, I cannot think of a ch- opportunity or a chance where I was like, TJ Friedel really should have ran there? Or he really should have extended? No, he did an amazing job. And I think that as we move as we move forward, he will be a key dude to kind of rein in Ellie and Matt McClain and be like, all right, guys, here's the deal. You, you got all this athleticism. Let's make sure that we're being opportunistic with it and not just constantly running ourselves into outs. But TJ Friedel, for me, is the team MVP beyond all of the other stuff because I know that you're looking – I mean, he had a nice batting average, a pretty decent on-base percentage for the season. He led the league in bunt hits. That really doesn't make you an MVP, but that's pretty fun. But TJ Friedel, for me, is the MVP. Now, Spencer Steer had a very good case. He played more than anyone. He had more games played, more at-bats than anybody on this team. He was super versatile. He played different positions. He was able to fill in where the Reds basically needed him. He is the Reds, and this was something that we said in the offseason that could happen. He's the Reds' Ben Zobrist. Where they need him to play, he's ready to play. He is a good bat. He had the best slugging percentage on the team. Or I'm sorry, that was I'm reading my notes wrong. Um, but he has a good bat in an opportunistic case. He was good at getting on base. He, he seems like a very patient at bat, although his strikeout rate was higher than TJ Friedel, but not by a lot. I think that Spencer Steer deserves recognition for the season that he had, but TJ Friedel's the MVP. And then another guy that I considered was Matt McClain. Now, he only played 89 games, so it's kind of hard to say that a guy that only played 89 games deserves to be the team's MVP, but the moment he was called up, this season turned. He was the the catalyst. We always talk about, you know, you know, what was the season like before Matt and Ellie were called up to what it was after that season is basically a tale of two seasons. But Matt McClain was phenomenal. In fact, he finished just behind TJ Friedel in wins above replacement in, you know, baseball reference where fangraphs, despite playing 49 less games. That's a cumulative stat. So, chances are, had he played a little bit more, he would have been far and away the MVP. He led the team in slugging percentage. He had a 507 slugging percentage in 403 plate appearances. Um, I just, I really think that the only thing that hurt him was the fact that he was called up in late May. And I found this interesting, too, because um, randomly, I accidentally clicked on my bookmarked tweets the other day, and I forgot that I had bookmarked this one, but Joel Luckup had a great statistical comparison of Matt McClain. And this was back, you know, in June, but in Matt McClain's first 37 games, he has very comparable statistics to Joey Votto in his first 37 career games. Both guys hit 325, 
both guys had five home runs. However, Matt McClain had a better on-base percentage in his first 37 games than Joey Votto did, and a better slugging, and he hit more doubles. Early Joey Votto was a doubles machine, and Matt McClain was like, nah, man, I got you. I, I beat you on that one. So he's going to be really fun to watch moving forward. Everything that we keep looking at and talking about with Matt McClain just gets me more and more excited to see him come back next year. But I firmly believe that TJ Friedel was this team's MVP. I think he beat out both those guys. You know, on a team that really struggled to pitch for the most part, there's one guy that stands above the rest. There, there were a couple of guys that were close. Um, but I don't think it's as much of an argument as we might make it out to be. I'm going to tell you why coming up next. Before I tell you about that, though, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors, and that is Sleeper. The MLB playoffs are roaring on, which means the clock is ticking to get your chance on 100 times uh, your cash to win 100 times your cash on daily fantasy baseball. Baseball has never been more exciting than it is now with studs like, well, you got Corbin Carroll playing with the Diamondbacks. You got Bryce Harper, who looked like he hit his funny bone last night on Matt Olson's knee, but I think he's going to be okay. You've got amazing studs like Altuve and Alvarez and, um, a whole bunch of dudes on the Rangers, a lot of fun to be had over at Sleeper Picks because you can pick one of those favorite players. You can pick stats like homers, hits, strikeouts, runs, and more, and you just click more or less on one of those statistics, and you can win up to 100 times a payout on Sleeper Picks. If you get your picks right, you could win big, and it doesn't take that long to do it. Like, you know, a lot of other cases, you it, it might take some uh, – take a minute to make your picks but in sleeper it's super super easy and as we move into the the cs phase the league championship series phase of the playoffs boy this was not the lcs that we were expecting but there's still so much fun to be had and whatever the stats are on corbin carroll i think i'm probably hitting a more on those over on sleeper and you're probably going to win your money on corbin carroll uh, the rest of the way also, if you go to Sleeper and you use promo code Locked On, you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. So go win 100 times your money. Go get a $100 match on your first deposit over at Sleeper. Use the promo code Locked On. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Reds your first listen every single day. Every day is coming up on the next show. We are going to discuss favorite memories. This season was full of them. So many memories. I tried to save and... and there weren't a lot of games that I had a physical ticket stub for, but I tried to save some ticket stubs for different things. I was I was at um, a lot of different debuts and things like that. But uh, we're going to talk about some favorite memories on the next Locked On Reds podcast. But let's talk right now about the best pitcher. The best pitcher on the Cincinnati Reds I don't think was as much of a competition as we can make it out to be because – Throughout the season, we got such inconsistent starting pitching. There was lots of injuries. Guys needed to step up. Who stepped up the biggest? Andrew Rabbit. I actually I had a physical ticket stub from his uh, debut. I got to figure out where I put that because I want to see if I can get him to sign it at Reds Fest. But that was an absolutely phenomenal game, which we'll get to here in a minute. But when we look at Andrew Abbott, even for his season as a whole, he had the highest wins above replacement among Reds pitchers. 
He was the only starting pitcher the Reds could count on for a while. I mean, remember you had Graham Ashcraft struggling a bunch, and then he hit the IL. Nick Lodola was on the IL for what felt like the entire season. Hunter Green was on and off the IL, and then whenever he came back, it took him a minute to get going. Andrew Abbott was there. He was the steadying force in this rotation. And think about this, too, because I really feel like the month of September derailed what was turning into a really fantastic season that could have garnered him some Rookie of the Year votes. Up until the month of September, in his first 16 career starts, he had an ERA of 3.3. Fantastic stuff. This guy can pitch, and he's got so many different pitches with which to call upon, and I feel like he is a guy... Me and Steve have said this, and we'll continue saying this all offseason. He's a lock for next year's rotation. He might very well be their third best, maybe even second best pitcher, depending on what Nick Lodolo looks like whenever he comes back. And there's an argument for him being better than Hunter Green. Now, I think that Hunter Green is ultimately going to be this team's ace. But we're talking about Abbott, Lodolo, and Ashcraft that are the three guys behind him making up a super solid rotation. Whoever becomes your fifth guy then is gravy. If it's Williamson, if you go sign somebody, whatever it is. But because of Andrew Abbott, this pitching staff looks so fantastic in the future. But because of Andrew Abbott, this starting pitching staff survived. Now, it didn't do great. You know, they've treaded water the entire year. But the reason that they kept their head above water was Andrew Abbott. A runner-up for this, and I, I think it's always hard because you think about in years past, one of the biggest arguments in the Cy Young uh, race is, you know, that, man, this relief pitcher's really doing well. He's really kicking things up a notch. It's just really hard to give the best pitcher award to a relief pitcher. But in a year where the bullpen was so huge for the Reds, Alexis Diaz absolutely came this close. He is probably the best Reds pitcher in a different number of metrics, whether you're looking at strikeout percentage or his ability to just come in and shut down an opponent. I mean, he was fantastic. And we talked with, uh, you know, we talked about TJ Friedel and win probability added. Alexis Diaz led uh, the whole team. He had a win probability added of 4.1. TJ Friedel was at 3.9. Alexis Diaz was number one, and of course, if you're closing out the games for your team, you've got the best shot at the highest leverage situations, but even still, Alexis Diaz faced more high leverage situations, <laughs> having fun saying that word, um, this year than he did a year before. He pitched so phenomenally well, and he was right behind Andrew Abbott in wins above replacement. Another guy that I've kind of got as a runner-up here, and I think it's worth noting, I don't necessarily know that Graham Ashcraft was that close to Andrew Abbott as far as the runnings for the best pitcher, but it must be noted, in a year where we talked about the just inability for Reds starting pitchers to pitch deep into the game, Graham Ashcraft was the exception. Led the team in innings pitch by a large margin. Uh, I, I was looking at... You know, what could Hunter Green have done? Hunter Green would have had to have three more starts. And in those three starts, he would have had to have pitched at least seven innings in each start just to match what Graham Ashcraft did. I, I think that it cannot go without, we, we can't go without appreciating what we saw from Ashcraft. And honestly, if he wouldn't have had such the roller coaster type year, remember his first five starts, he had an ERA around two. 
And then his next five starts, he had an ERA of like 12. <laughs> so he went crazy in both directions. And then I think the rest of the year we saw the real Graham Ashcraft. He's an efficient pitcher that goes deep into ballgames. He's going to give up some long balls, and so you kind of hope that he limits the base runners that he allows because he he allows more fly balls than ground balls. But ultimately, he is a guy you can rely on to give the ball every fifth day. I think if if everything pans out, which it doesn't because it's life, not everything pans out, but if everything pans out, he's probably the number four guy in this rotation. But if Graham Ashcraft is your number four guy in your rotation, that's amazing. That's a playoff team because he is a reliable guy and he can pitch deep into a ball game. Very, I'm, I'm very excited to see what he's got for the Reds moving forward. And I think, you know, Hunter Green um, is also a honorable mention here when it comes to best pitcher, but he's not as close as I would have pegged him to be. I would have figured it was a neck-and-neck race between him and Andrew Rabbit, but Hunter Green just has some inconsistencies in his game that he needs to figure out, and I feel like it's kind of the same inconsistencies we said after year one. Now, again, he is still very young, and he's very young into his major league career. He's got plenty of time to work out those inconsistencies, but because of that, I look back on his season and I say it was solid, but I'm not going to put him up for best pitcher. I think Andrew Abbott is the team's best pitcher, especially on a year where <laughs> they needed anybody. I mean, come on. Luis Sessa, Connor Overton, Lion Richardson, Brett Kennedy, Carson Spires. These are all names of people that started a ball game for the Reds, and there's more than that. I, I didn't go down the whole list because I don't want to go crazy. I don't want to drive myself nuts. But Andrew Abbott stands above everybody else. There is a um, there's a position group that if you have been an everydayer of the podcast, you're going to know exactly what I'm about to say because which position group was the best for the Reds in 2023? And I mean, it's simple. I'll tell you coming up next. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about another one of today's sponsors, and that is FanDuel. As we move through this MLB playoffs, there's no better way to get in on the action than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sports book. Join FanDuel today, and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. All you have to do is visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to create your new account. Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. In fact, one of my favorite like obscure prop bets that I sometimes throw a dollar or two at is what is going to be the outcome of the first pitch? Because normally it's favored that it's either going to be a ball or a strike. There are some crazy odds if you put a couple of bucks on it that the very first pitch of the game gets put into play. It's it, 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 it's a fun little prop bet that's not really – it's innocuous one way or the other. It doesn't favor either side, but it's kind of fun. And plus, you can bet on everything else from strikeouts to home runs and who's going to win the game, over-unders, all that great stuff. And if you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W, predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash on right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel. They're an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. 
You can follow us in between episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's. You can follow Steve at S Offenbaker with two F's. You can also follow the Locked On Reds Discord chat. We've got a great community of folks talking baseball every single day. We've got the link down in the description of this episode for you to join. I welcome you to. And uh, speaking of Steve, too, he'll be back uh, coming up next week. He's had a crazy, crazy week um, just traveling and a lot going on uh, with him. But he will return next week, and hopefully we can get us our first Aloha Live Friday coming up next Friday because uh, we are excited about those. Love talking with you guys. Love uh, having the chance to kind of see where the show takes us, you know. And, uh, Aloha Live Fridays are always kind of fun. So best position group. If you're thinking too hard about this one, it's because you're probably not an everyday or locked on reds, which I encourage you to become because the best position group on this team is the bullpen. And I don't even think there's an honorable mention. I don't even think there's a runner up. Like we could probably get into the nitty gritty about what the, what the guys who played, you know, shortstop did or what the guys who played left field did or what the guys who played third base did, but the bullpen beats them all. The bullpen was so phenomenal this year. There were seven guys. Let's let's appreciate this for a minute. There were seven guys in the Reds' bullpen who pitched in at least 54 games. That is a really fun stat, especially when you think about the fact that most of these guys were in 2022's bullpen where I was the only one that was trying to be at least a little bit optimistic and saying they're not half bad. And then they come back this year and they were good. They were fifth, or I'm sorry, fourth, tied for fourth in Major League Baseball in war, at least according to Fangrass, 5.9 wins above replacement. They also, and, and it was a stat that I learned about this year. It's been around for a little bit, I found out, but it's a stat that uh, you talk about bullpens and stuff they led Major League Baseball in shutdowns. So it's, you know, when a relief pitcher comes into the ball game and whenever he leaves, the team's probability of winning the ball game increased by at least 6%. The Reds had 198 of those cases. 198 shutdowns. The next closest team had 173. Now, there were so many circumstances as to why that happened. There were so many times where David Bell was going to the bullpen. So I'm sure the Reds had far more opportunities than most teams did. But you got to come through, and the Reds came through. And, and something that we like to talk about every so often, Fangraphs has a statistic called value that equates everything that a player or a team does and puts it into a monetary value. And as we go into the offseason and we talk about how much money the Reds are going to spend and who they're going to spend it on and how they're going to allocate it and all this other stuff, it's worth noting that according to this Fangraph statistics at value, the Reds' bullpen was worth $47 million last year. They didn't pay near that much for that bullpen. <laughs> it wasn't even – I don't even know that it was a quarter of that. <laughs> all those guys were on, like, major league minimums, minor league contracts that they brought up. You know, no, nobody, I, I can't even think of somebody. I think maybe Lucas Sims is arbitration, but even that, that might be the only thing that you look at and you say, okay, that guy was making like real major league money, but even that wasn't that much. So they vastly, 
outperformed their cost. So if you're an economics person, you really love the Reds bullpen too. But everything that they were able to put together, think of how many games that they saved, not as like the save statistic, but how many bad starting pitching performances we saw and how many times the bullpen came in and shut it down right then. Starting pitcher gives up like five runs in two innings and the Reds win six to five or something like that. There were so many cases like that. And I think that everything that the bullpen did absolutely needs to be remembered as the best group of players on this team for 2023. And another award that I want to talk about, best debut. Now, this is really going to be looking at just their first game. Because I think that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in, well, what's the first week look like? What's the first month look like? And then, but how do you decide which one's better? We're just talking about the very first game. First game, we saw them in a Reds uniform. So that disqualifies guys like Spencer Steer and Will Benson and um, a couple other guys that had debuted last year. TJ Friedel debuted last year, all that other stuff. We're not, we're talking about guys who debuted this year. And the best debut was Andrew Abbott. So he gets best pitcher and he gets best debut. And before we get all up in a tizzy about it, let's talk about why. Six innings, no runs allowed, six strikeouts. In a big spot where the Reds had just been throwing bullpen days, what felt like, for like two weeks. And I think it's important to note, too, like he continued on and just kept shutting out. Remember that shutout streak that he had to begin his career? It was a phenomenal thing to see, but his first game was just so electric. Kind of coming out of nowhere. His The fanfare surrounding his call-up was nothing like Matt McLean or Ellie De La Cruz, or I would even argue nothing like CES. But McLean, in his first game, one for four with a double and two runs scored, and he had, and he had a walk. His, his debut was in Colorado. Ellie's debut, he was one for three with a double and two runs scored and two walks. There's a theme here about Reds hitters debuting and hitting doubles because also Noel V. Marte in his first start, his first appearance, he was a pinch runner, didn't get in that bat. His first start, he's one for four with a double. So, yeah, McLean, Ellie, Marte, all doubled in their debut. CES, his first start, 0 for 3. But then his second game, he was 2 for 3, and he hit his first career home run. But because of my rules that I'm setting for this best debut game, it's Andrew Abbott. And then finally, the, the last award that I want to give, this is a little bit more of a fun one, but the Reds came up with this Awesome, amazing, I loved every minute of it, home run celebration this year. And I think there were people that tried to be all weird and hoity-toity about it, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And for the best, most memorable Viking hat celebration, I'm giving it to Matt McClain on his Grand Slam. The the Grand Slam one, the, the picture, and I'm showing it here on YouTube, but for those listening, the picture is Matt McClain, and he's got a thumbs up, and... Everyone is all around him, all the guys that scored, a couple of pitchers, Andrew Abbott's in this one, Luke Weaver's in this picture. This was just a great, like, all-encapsulation. At this point in time, it felt like this picture was what was going on for the Cincinnati Reds. Just a lot of joy, a lot of fun, and they're wearing their City Connect uniforms too, which are absolute fire. I don't think we shouted that out enough this year. The, the, the Cincinnati Reds City Connect uniforms were absolute fire. I think I remember in the past I advocated for something that looked crazy with like Coney's and Fiona and just ridiculous lookingness, but I love what they ended up doing with their City Connect uniforms. 
And I think that the best one, I mean, think about that. This was McLean's Grand Slam broke open a back and forth game. This is back on July 21st with the D-backs. This was a game where the Reds had scored four runs early, but the D-backs had scored three runs to kind of keep pace with them. And you're in the fifth inning, you're thinking, boy, what's going to happen? And then, bam, the Reds blow it wide open because of McLean's grand slam. And then it just it just felt euphoric at that point. But the honorable mention for me, and almost would have won had I not considered the McLean picture and all that other stuff, was the celebration when Joey Votto, his two-homer game in Chicago, this was back on, what was it, August 2nd, his two-homer day for Joey Votto. <laughs> and he and Matt McClain do the stepbrothers pose. And then, you know, shout out to Ellie in the background with his tongue hanging out. It was kind of funny. But um, if, if you remember the cover of the movie Step Brothers, it looks like, a, you know, one of those, like, glamour shots or whatever they're called, like, you know, like when you went to Sears as a kid and you in your family portrait or something like that, and it's John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, but this one it's <laughs> Joey Votto kneeling down and looking up with just abject innocence, and Matt McClain standing with his with his hands like on Joey's shoulder and smiling as well as if they're you know they're posing for a family shoot. But I I loved that um, I love those pictures I love those celebrations. And I hope that they continue. I don't know. I'm sure that next year they'll probably do something different. It's not like major league teams to continue things like that year over year, but I think whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of fun. Although the Viking thing, I don't know, maybe that will be a staple. Maybe that will. That might, that might have to be something that Steve and I talk about this off season. Do the Reds, could that be the most important decision that the Reds make this off season? Do they bring back the Viking celebration? We'll find out. But that'll do it for here's today's podcast. Thank you so much for checking out Locked On Reds. And thank you so much for taking time every day to listen to me talk some Reds with you. I encourage you, if you're not an everydayer, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app and right here on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, also click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you because we're going to be with you all off season, bringing you the news, bringing you the rumors, bringing you the rumblings and the grumblings about what your Cincinnati Reds may do. But that'll wrap us up for today's edition. Coming up on the next Locked On Reds podcast, we're going to talk about our favorite memories from this season because there are a lot of them, a lot of memories from the 2023 Reds season. And we're going to have a lot of fun coming up on the next Locked On Reds podcast. But until then, you can trust we're going to be Locked On Reds every single day.